Uh, sorry about that. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the Word of God says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine together, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do." And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word that we've just read. We're glad that we have the inspired, preserved word of God, and we have full confidence in it. And we ask that you'd teach us this morning uh, these important truths. We live in a day of apathy and apostasy, and truth is trampled in the streets. And we want your truth to be high and lifted up. You, Christ, who are truth, and the truth that you taught us, and our Father, everything you've taught us in the word. We want to know it, uh, we want to believe it, we want to live it, so we can bring you honor and glory. I pray today you'd give us insight into your word. May the Holy Spirit of God speak to each one, save those that are lost, instruct the saved, we pray in Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Powerful words we just read, we'll get to the context in a, a few moments. I believe we can all agree this morning that God gave us His truth in the Holy Bible. What makes the Bible different? This is God's book. It's the Holy Bible. The Bible means the book, but it's a holy book. It's the book of God, the only book God ever wrote. And He gave it to us, inspired it, preserved it unto this day. Uh, The Word of God that we hold in our hands is just as true as it's ever been, and it's just as relevant Today, as anything that you'll read on the front page of a newspaper or see on TV, it matters today. The Bible is not some archaic book that that we would study as you'd study some other historical uh, document or as you'd study a Shakespeare play. This is the Word of God. And God gave us His truth in His Holy Bible. God revealed everything we need to know as we seek to please Him in this life. I didn't say God told us everything we want to know, because there's sometimes we have questions about things, and God can lead us into those answers through His Word. But He did reveal everything that we need to know as we seek to please Him. There'll be some questions you have that you may not get answers to until you get to heaven. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. But God has given us everything we need to know in this supernatural book called the Bible. Our theme for the year is sound doctrine. And so we've talked about this off and on throughout the year. The truthful teaching of the Bible is called sound doctrine. Sound doctrine literally means healthy teaching. It is uncorrupted truth. As we study God's Word and we learn this sound doctrine, we take the Bible literally, except in those places it is obviously speaking figuratively. 
Sometimes people say, do you take the Bible literally? Absolutely. Absolutely. Christians always have. Well, what about uh, uh, Joan and the whale? Absolutely. Well, what about Genesis 1 through 3? Absolutely. The Bible is meant to be taken literally in every instance, except those places where it's obviously speaking figuratively. This helps us to find sound doctrine. We divide the Word of God, we rightly divide the Word of God, as the Bible tells us, by using the appropriate historical grammatical context. This means we look at everything as it was meant in history. We look at everything as far as it means grammatically. What do definitions of words mean? What do these words linked together mean? What about the context of what's around it? And then we take all of that information and we apply the Bible to our lives so we can live more like Christ and bring glory to God. Sound doctrine from God's Word is the foundation of everything we believe and everything we do. As a Christian, the Bible is our book. It is our manual for life. It is the truth. And God's Word is the foundation of everything we believe, and it also determines how we behave. Is there any wonder that God's Word has been under such attack all through the ages? Never has there been a book so maligned, so attacked, At times, it's been burned. There are countries on the face of the earth today that if you get caught with one page of this book, you will lose your life. Stories are rife with people. There there are people today that in the last year have been killed, sometimes by their own family, sometimes by the government, because they found a Bible app on their phone. And they were murdered for having a Bible app. Folks, there has never been a book under more scrutiny, under more difficulty, people threatened with their lives. And yet all throughout history, there has never been a book that's more alive and more helpful than it is today. This is the supernatural word of God. And it always will be. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words shall not pass away. This book will be here till the end of time. And it will help people until we get to heaven. Sound doctrine comes from the Word of God. And this sound doctrine is the foundation of everything we believe and how we behave. But I ask you a question this morning. What's the opposite of sound doctrine? And the answer is false doctrine. If sound doctrine is the truthful teaching of God's word, false doctrine is the untruthful teaching from God's word. False doctrines are corrupted teachings from the word of God. Every false religion today that uses a version of the Bible, they take verses out of context to build upon their uh, false religions. Different Christian sects that are so different. This group is so different from this group. And they're all Christian. How does this happen? Because things taken from the Bible and verses twisted and and perverted and corrupted. And these teachings corrupted to make something different than what God had intended. 
After the resurrection of Christ, Satan immediately began to sow false doctrine into healthy churches. Boy, Satan doesn't wait, does he? I was talking to a lady this morning. She said, I'm waiting for Satan to take a vacation. <laughs> well, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice if he just took a day off. But he doesn't. He's relentless. He's ruthless. He's evil. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And he knows his time's short. So he's getting more vicious and more active. Have you noticed that the evil today is more blatant, more in your face, more obvious than it's ever been? Satan's ramping up, folks. He knows his time's short. And one of his tools is false doctrine. So as soon as Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven, Satan began to sow false doctrine among healthy churches. Christ warned us against false teachers who would come to spread lies. Hold your place here in 1 Timothy and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, one of the hallmarks of our church is we like to use the Bible. We want you to turn to it and see the words yourself. We encourage you to study and learn the Bible. Christ compares these false teachers or false prophets, He compares them to trees with rotten fruit. And He tells us that we can tell true teachers from false teachers by the fruit they produce or the results of their teaching. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. They're hungry wolves. These false prophets are in contradiction to God's prophets. The sheep are God's people. The wolves are the the enemies of God's people. And they come to you as if they're one of you. They come to you in sheep's clothing, pretending to be a follower of Christ. They look like Christ. They they look like a Christian. They they talk like a Christian. They might use the, the same book that we use. But they're actually ravening wolves. Look at verse 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? The answer is no. Or do you get uh, figs from thistles? No. Verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringing forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus said you'll know them by the results of their teaching. Do these teachings draw people closer to God in the long run? Do these teachings make people more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Do they make people more like God or less like God? And we run these False teachings, everything, every teaching, we should run through the sieve of God's Word and and match it up to what God's Word tells us. And then we will know uh, from their results. And notice, uh, we shouldn't give any quarter, we shouldn't give any ear to uh, these trees that bringeth forth corrupt fruit. The, uh, The only thing to do is to hew them down and cast them in the fire. Listen, dear friend, if you listen to the devil long enough, he'll convince you. Just ask Eve. You can't give him an ear. He's good at what he does. And so the only thing to do is recognize it as false doctrine 
and cut it out of your life. Look at Matthew chapter 24. We see a few more warnings of Christ. Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. A false prophet is one that proclaims false teaching. Notice there's a lot of these false prophets. There's a lot of them. And notice that they will deceive a lot of people. This means that oftentimes they have large ministries. People are drawn to false teaching in large part because it rubber stamps what they already want, what they already want to do, what they already want to believe. False teaching often is very permissive. It's it's licentious. It, It gives license to, basically just gives you license to do whatever you want. When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A lot of false teachers are letting an awful lot of things go. We've got to be careful of that. Did you know not everybody you hear on the radio that calls themselves a preacher is telling you the truth? Not everybody on TV that calls himself a preacher is telling you the truth. Not everybody on YouTube <laughs> you know, uh, is telling you the truth. You know, I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln. It said, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. And um, a lot of people just, well, I saw it on the internet. This guy had a lot of followers. That must make him right. No, we got to be careful. We have to be discerning. There have been people that have gone to archers throughout the years. They've been here almost 20 years. We've lost people because they got involved in false doctrine online. They got involved in other people that pulled them away. They, they, they got involved. They began to watch this or listen to this and, and get these things in their mind and their heart. Listen, if it takes you away from Christ, it's probably, it's not from God. If it separates you from Christ's church, it's not from God. If it gives you permission to live in sin, it's not from God. If nobody else has ever believed it, or this guy who was saying things I never heard before, then you better be careful. If nobody's ever believed it, it might be because it's not true. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Just repackaged lies throughout the ages. Look at verse 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Now, wait a minute. I can understand false prophets, but these are people that claim to be the Savior. They claim to be the Savior of the world. I read something years ago, I don't know if it's true, but at that time they said there are currently 60 people in the world claiming to be Jesus Christ. Alive today. That's crazy. But you know, even more than that, they may not claim to be Jesus, but they claim to be a Savior of some sort. They claim to be the political savior. They claim to be the economic savior. They claim to be the one that's going to set everything straight. You better be careful because in the end times when the tribulation begins, it's the Antichrist 
that is going to be the answer of the world's ills until he decides to kill everybody. We live in a day and age where people are very freely giving up their freedom for security and you see things falling into the last days. Well, I could preach a whole sermon right now. We could talk for an hour on all the things that are falling into place. Folks, Jesus had come at any moment. You better keep an eye to the sky. You, you better be right with God and do what matters, folks. We are living at the very end of days. And things are falling into place. Look what it says. Verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. These are pointing people to the false Christ. And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. Do you know at the time of Christ, there was a heightened level of supernatural activity because Satan was trying to stop Christ from fulfilling his his uh, plans, tried to stop him from being born, that didn't work. Tried to stop him from being believed, that didn't work. Tried to kill him ahead of time, that didn't work. Uh, there, there was a, an increase in supernatural activity. In the last days, we're going to see again that increase in supernatural activity. Uh, you better be careful, folks. Satan has power. And God today has decided that if you want to believe him, You'll take him at his word, not by some miracle. Now, he can do a miracle if he chooses, but he has chosen that if you go to heaven, if you believe him, it'll be because you, you put faith in his word. Amen. But Satan can very easily do some miracles. You see the demons doing crazy stuff in the Gospels and in the book of Acts? You're going to see the Antichrist and the false prophet do crazy stuff. Thankfully, at that time, we'll be in heaven He's going to have some supernatural powers. There's an awful lot of people that are going to fall for satanic supernatural events and say, oh, this must be the Christ. But it's not. That must be the truth. But it's not. Notice what it says, in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. These are the saved. Thank God that saved people can't be deceived to follow the devil or to follow another Christ. We know who Jesus is, and He is our Lord and Savior. And a true Christian, uh, listen folks, uh, it may not happen in this day and age, but there's been an awful lot of people like you and me that have died because of their faith. And I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I, I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime, but you better give it some thought and you better think, what am I going to do if it comes to the time when it's, it's me rejecting Jesus Christ publicly, saying I don't believe in Him, or am I going to stand? You better give that some thought. It's amazing how whenever you get to the place where you're willing to die for Jesus, that it's a little easier to live for Him. Some people are afraid to live for him. We got to give this some thought. We're talking about false doctrine this morning, false prophets, false Christ. Christ warned of the dangers of false doctrines and false teachers. False doctrines twist scripture to say something different than God intended. Satan uses false doctrine to confuse believers and condemn the lost. False doctrine creeps into churches to destroy them from the inside out. Look at Galatians chapter 1. 
Galatians chapter 1. False doctrine creeps into churches to destroy them from the inside out. And unless false doctrine is identified and destroyed, it takes hold and spreads like a cancer corrupting the church. In Galatians chapter 1, we see a terrible false doctrine that had already started to infiltrate the church, even in the life of the Apostle Paul. And this was a false doctrine regarding the very person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So this was a perversion of the gospel itself. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel very plainly says Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came down to earth, took upon Him the form of humanity so that He could die in our place. And in a supernatural event on the cross, God took every sin of every person who would ever live and placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus died for the sins of of all the world. Isn't that what the Bible says? Then the Bible says He didn't die. He chose to die. He, he, death didn't come for Him and steal Him away. He chose to die. He surrendered to death only to three days later take up His life again, finally conquering death and hell. And He holds the keys of, of death and hell as we read in Revelation chapter 1. And Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, promises to save anybody that comes to Him by faith and asks Him for forgiveness. That is the gospel. Everything you've ever done, any word you've ever said, the sins you've even forgotten about, the skeletons so deep in the closet you hope nobody ever finds them, Jesus Christ can wash all that away through simple faith. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you been saved? Well, I hope you have. If you haven't, today's the day. Why would you wait? Say, well, I'm just going to see what happens. You may not like what you see. Let me give you a little encouragement this morning. You don't get saved when you decide to. You get saved when God invites you. And if you're being invited today, if the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart, saying, yeah, you need to get that cared for, then you might want to answer that door. Because there may come a day where you say no for the last time. And God says, you've told me no enough. No more. You'll live with your decision. That's a whole other message. This terrible doctrine moving people to another gospel, another way of salvation. Verse 7 says, which is not another, means it's not another of the same kind. It's not, it's not similar, it's not equal. It's a false gospel, which is not another, but there would be some that trouble you, those are false prophets, false teachers, and would pervert or twist the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That word accursed is strong language. 
And I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but it literally means let him go to hell. If you want to change the gospel and tell people there's another way to go to heaven and corrupt the very gospel of Christ that cost him everything, you're not only going to go to hell, he said, Godspeed. Godspeed on your way. Go. Strong language. But how do you think when God has gone through so much effort to save us and everything He sacrificed for someone to trample upon the blood of Christ, for someone to change the very gospel that can save the soul, God takes that very personally, dear friend. Very personally. He goes on to say, verse 9, And as we said before, say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. So he curses the false gospel. He curses the false preacher. Here's the shocking thing. Galatians was written in about 58 A.D. That means... About 25 years after Christ ascended to heaven. False doctrine had already corrupted. Notice it says the churches of Galatia. Galatia is a region. This false doctrine had so spread through like a, like, like a poisonous vine, like a corrupting cancer. It spread through this entire region and corrupted multiple churches less than 30 years after Jesus walked on the planet. This is the deceiving power of the devil. And make no mistake today, false doctrine runs rampant today, doesn't it? I want to end our message today with giving you three final thoughts from our text. Let's turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been talking about sound doctrine all year today. We're heeding God's warning about false doctrine. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to give you three thoughts from our scripture text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the doctrine they're supposed to be teaching is sound doctrine. The doctrine they're not supposed to be teaching is false doctrine. But notice our text, this is the aged preacher, the Apostle Paul, writing through inspiration of the Spirit to one of his a preacher boys that he had taught. Paul was instrumental in bringing him to faith in Christ. Paul was instrumental in teaching him for the gospel. And one thing Paul said here is he said, Timothy, look, you've got to understand, it is your job, Timothy, to make sure that those people don't teach any other doctrine. Here's number one of our final three thoughts today. It is Number one, it is the pastor's duty to protect the church from false doctrine. It's the pastor's duty to protect the church from false doctrine. There have been times over the years where I've had to step in. Maybe something's being taught in a Sunday school class or a, an extension ministry or, a, God forbid, 
behind the pulpit, and I've had to step in and say, hey, no, no. no that's not what the Bible says. We're not going to teach that stuff. And I've actually had a few people over the years say, well, who's the pastor think he is? Who's he think he is telling us what we can teach and not teach and what we can do and not do? Well, the pastor just thinks he's the pastor. And part of my job is to keep the church doctrine pure. And dear friend, let me, let me help you. I plan on being here a long time until Jesus comes, Lord willing. But if anything ever happens to me and you have to choose another pastor, you better know what he believes. There is an epidemic of churches calling in, churches like this, calling in young preachers or different preachers, and they come in, and for the first six weeks, two months, six months, they pretend like everything's okay, but that's not really what they believed, and they begin introducing false doctrine. You know what happens to those churches? They die. They die. And dear friend, you have to understand that, that it's your responsibility to keep yourself pure from false doctrine. It's the pastor's responsibility to keep the church pure from false doctrine. Uh, and we must do so. J.C. Ryle, a famous preacher of the past, said, we should no more tolerate false doctrine than we should tolerate sin. We should have no patience for false doctrine. False doctrines is a chameleon. It, it takes on many forms. And as you study the Bible, I just pulled out some of these things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, false doctrine is called fables, stories that go against what God says. 1 Timothy 1.4, endless genealogies. 1 Timothy 6.4, strifes of words, fighting over what this word means or what that word means. Have you noticed that Satan's really good about keeping the words the same but changing the definition? Yeah. We don't, get in, we don't get in fights about that. It's like, no, this is the truth. We're, not, we're, not, we're going to tell you what the truth is. We're not going to get bogged down in a long, drawn-out situation. Uh, Satan has a lot of people who go to seminaries and get a lot of degrees, and they look very intelligent, and they can talk to you in high fluting words and that kind of stuff. But, dear friend, we've got to have the wisdom from the Word of God to say, I can sniff out false doctrine no matter what words you use or no matter what uh, all the, the fancy language and the symbology and all this kind of stuff. We're just going to stick with God's Word. In 1 Timothy 6.20, it's called profane and vain babblings. And a lot of it is just babble. Have you ever heard somebody say a lot of words but not say anything? And it's empty. False science, 1 Timothy 6.20 talks about. And boy, we've talked a lot about that uh, the last several years. The Bible warns us against false science. Not everything called science today is science. You better be careful. You say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I believe in science. Which science? From where? From who? Scientists don't even agree. You better be smart. Better have some wisdom. 1 Timothy 1.14 calls false doctrine the commandments of men. Sometimes men will come in and <clears throat> make new and varied commandments that take people away from God. Uh, Titus 3.9 talks about foolish questions. <clears throat> Titus 3.9, contentions. The same verse talks about strivings about the law. Judaizers, there's 
People that'll say, well, you got to keep the Old Testament. You got to be this. You got to be that. You got to do this. You got to keep the Sabbath on Saturday and all this, all this crazy stuff. It's like, look, folks, we have to understand God's word, rightly divide God's word and not fall for all the varied attempts and angles that false doctrine takes. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, we see it says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Notice this, which minister questions. This is number two. False doctrine causes questions instead of giving answers. Number one, we said it's the pastor's duty to protect the church from false doctrine. Number two, false doctrine causes questions instead of answers. Satan uses questions to sow seeds of doubt and disbelief. Satan uses alternatives to the truth that promote rebellion and lust. And remember, by your fruits you shall know them. If it's promoting rebellion, if it's promoting selfishness, if it's promoting the fulfilling of your lusts, it's not from God. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. See, Satan questions the truth. And then he counterfeits the truth. He provides a different answer. And then if you listen long enough, he convinces you of the falsehood. The Bible principle is clear. We must answer sincere questions, but not get bogged down in foolish debates and questions of people that don't want the truth anyway. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. I've always said you have a pastor that's not afraid of your questions. Why is that? Because we have a God that's not afraid of our questions. Questions are how people learn. If you have a question about something, I'm happy to take you through the Bible and, and show you. If I don't remember right offhand, I'll say, you know what? I've, I know the Bible speaks to that. I don't remember it well enough to give you an answer right now. Let's get together later this week, and I'll take you through and show you what the Bible says. I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't have the whole Bible memorized. Right? That's shocking. I know. Shocking. I've probably forgot more about the Bible than I know at this very moment. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit can bring it into remembrance. And oftentimes, whenever someone asks a question, something I haven't thought about in years might just come in and become as clear as day. But I'm also not afraid to say, you know, I'm not sure about that. Let me study the scriptures and get back to you. That's a sign of wisdom. It's not a sign of weakness to say, I don't know. It's a sign of weakness to say, I don't know and I never will know. Or I don't know and I don't care. It's a sign of wisdom to say, I don't know. Let me, let me go to God's word and find out. That's wisdom. Amen. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. I look at the end of verse 2. These things teach and exhort. So that is sound doctrine. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise or false doctrine and consent not to wholesome or healthy sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Notice God's doctrine always leads to godliness. He is proud. So if someone doesn't want to accept God's doctrine, the Bible explains who that person is. He's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, 
and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. You know, you can't help everybody. You can't help everybody. And sometimes you need to step away. Learn to answer sincere questions. Learn not to get bogged down with people that really don't want to know the truth. I've had people where they ask a question, uh, and I'll show them the plain word of God, and they'll say, well, I don't believe that. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> you know, it says it right here. Uh, let's read this again. Yeah, I don't believe that. Well, what do you believe? I don't know, but not that. That's pride, folks. I had, I had a lady come to me one time. She said, I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to give me a Bible answer. And I looked at her and said, excuse me? She said, well, I know every time I come talk to you, you always tell me what the Bible says. She said, I know what the Bible says, but I want you to give me an answer that's not the Bible. I just looked at her and said, you came to the wrong place. You know, you don't go to the ice cream store looking for dog food. It's, it's a, you're, you're just at the wrong place. I don't have anything to offer you. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> And verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and so on. And so sometimes people just want to fight. Sometimes people just want to argue. And you know, I, I'm too busy just to argue with folks. I know people that have the personality that they just love to argue. Do you know anybody like that? I'm looking at the ceiling. Do you know anybody like that? And, <laughs> you know, some people just love to argue. I'm not one of them. I don't like to argue. I don't like to fight. Uh, I will if I have to, but it's not, I'm not built that way. I don't like to just debate for debate's sake. I'm far too busy. I don't have any energy left to just fight with people over things that don't matter or to fight with people when they don't really want the truth. And so the Bible teaches us here that you've got to learn to avoid foolish questions. You say, well, there's no such thing as a foolish question. Well, according to the Bible, there is. There are such things as dumb questions. And again, you've got to recognize this person being sincere or they just being proud and spiteful, trying to prove their own point. The Bible says clearly we must rebuke false doctrine. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 1. Just the next book over, Titus chapter 1. Titus, again, another protege of, of Paul's, another <coughs> preacher of the gospel. And Paul is teaching them uh, that, that he's got to rebuke false doctrine and sinful living. Look at verse 13, Titus chapter 1, 13. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Sometimes we've got to show people mercy. Most of the time we've got to show people mercy. My default setting is mercy. I had someone tell me recently, you're too merciful. And I said, on purpose. On purpose. You know what, if you sow mercy, you know what you reap? Mercy. I'd rather be 
a little too soft. I'd rather give someone the benefit of the doubt than to beat them up with the truth when I don't have the whole story. Does that make sense? But there is a time for a sharp rebuke. It doesn't happen often, but there is a time. And we need to rebuke false doctrine. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 9. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. One thing you learn when you start to go soul winning is when you're out in the community trying to help people learn about Jesus, you'll run into people that love to argue. And if you're not careful, you'll spend all your time at a door arguing with someone who didn't want the truth anyway, when right down the road there may have been someone who wanted the truth. And so we have to be very judicious. Let me give you this last thought. And we'll go to the house because <clears throat> I'm getting hungry. Number three, false doctrine destroys instead of builds. False doctrine destroys instead of builds. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, back to our text. The Bible says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions Rather than godly edifying, edifying means building up, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So the Bible says, listen, it's our goal to build people up. Sound doctrine will build your life, will make your life better, stronger. False doctrine makes you weaker. You're building your life on sinking sands. We learn three elements of sound doctrine here in verse 5. Now, the end of the commandments, charity out of a pure heart, that's selfless love. A good conscience, that's a clean conscience. And faith on faith, that's sincere faith. That means sound doctrine will always lead you towards selfless Christ-like love, a clean conscience before God, and sincere faith. Those are the fruits of sound doctrine. By contrast, we can deduce three marks of false doctrine. Number one, selfishness. If there's a doctrine that gives you permission to be selfish, it's not from God. Number two is a seared conscience. That conscience, I don't have time to develop that, but it's that part of you, it's like an umpire on the inside of you calling balls and strikes. This is right, this is wrong. The problem with conscience is it's either informed by the Scripture or it's informed by your life experience, and you can violate your conscience. We've all done that, haven't we? You've done something, it's like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. Ooh, that's, that's wrong. Now, Christians have the Holy Spirit in them, but everybody who's ever been born has a conscience, that kind of bowls and strikes call or that umpire in you. You say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But you know something about the conscience? If you violate it over and over and over, it stops working. That's why you sin the first time. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You sin the next time. Oh, man, I wonder if God's going to. Third time, fourth time. Next thing you know, it doesn't even bother you. It's a seared conscience. And if there is a doctrine that's telling you to violate your conscience, and at first it's like it doesn't feel right, but this is what I believe. But it doesn't feel right, this is what I believe. But it doesn't seem right, but this is what. And now all of a sudden it's okay. That's not from God. And the last is a false faith. People that pretend 
to have faith, but they don't. Why is all this important? Why is doctrine so important? Well, we learned that false doctrine destroys instead of builds. Doctrine determines behavior. What you believe determines how you will behave. And then finally, doctrine determines destiny. What you believe determines how your life will end. What you believe determines what you're going to do, and that leads to how your life's going to end. That also leads to where you're going to spend eternity. False doctrine condemns people to an eternity without Christ in a terrible place called hell. Sound doctrine leads people down that narrow path to Christ to a place of everlasting joy called heaven. Is there any wonder why Satan works so hard to promote false doctrine? And dear friend, in this church, we do our best to go to the scripture and get sound doctrine. And I encourage each one of you here today in your own lives, look at your own life. Do you adhere to sound doctrine or there's some areas of your life where it's like, well, I'm kind of off on that. I know that's what the Bible says, but I, I, haven't, I haven't been buying into that. Today's a good day just to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to believe what you teach. I want to know the truth. I want to live the truth. If I'm believing, here's a scary prayer to pray, but once you pray it, it brings peace. Lord, if I'm doing anything wrong, or if I believe anything that's untrue, I want you to change my heart. Change my heart. Make me like you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth we've heard today. So much false doctrine out there. And yet the Bible's full of so much truth. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would be honored, you'd be high and lifted up in our hearts. And Lord, if there's anything that we're doing that displeases you, would you show us? Give us courage to change it, power to change it. If there's anything we're believing that's not true, Lord, would you change our hearts? Help us to surrender to you completely and follow you. And Lord, help us to hold fast the sound doctrine. Help us to speak the truth in 